Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Nancy is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Woohoo. Everyone had a nice holiday, nice feast day. Yeah. Tomorrow yeah, it was a beautiful forward. feast day this year. Yeah. And everybody got through the winter storm here yes. recently. <laughs> here okay. Yeah. Winter so, storm. But, um, um, yeah, okay. so I I know who we're talking about today. But before we get we reveal who we're talking about, a friend essentially of Elizabeth Sanchez, right. not really a follower of Elizabeth Sanchez. No, a friend, I'm okay. an advisor. An advisor. So it was more of like Elizabeth followed him to a certain point. Yes. I mean, she definitely looked to him for yeah. advice. Advice, okay. Encouragement. Okay. But so we, before we go into that, um, I had actually so like, well, shouldn't we like give a little bit of early history about Catholic Catholicism in the United States, like how it came to be? And you said, sure, why not? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, we're trying to keep it very brief, but this is from our Mountain to Valley tour, which we had conceptualized, oh gosh, years ago. Yeah. And um, our Mountain to Valley tour is really like an intensive tour where you start at like eight in the morning and we're not done until 5.30 in the evening. Mm-hmm. And we take groups of people on a bus around northern Frederick County, around Emmitsburg. And we really do, we go through the entire history of what early Catholicism was like here in this area to getting to Elizabeth Ann Seton's story and then her legacy. So it's a full day tour, um, very intense. Yes, There's a lot of physical activity, but it's been fun. We had yeah. great tours with meeting great people. So, so this yeah. is where a little bit of that information came out. I was like, oh, well, let's share this why we go into this front, um, which we'll reveal in a minute. Yeah. Okay. So what is when when was Catholicism brought into the United States? Well we definitely know that the Spanish and the French um settlers or where we travelers, whatever we call them. Explorers. Settlers, explorers, thank yeah. you. Not settlers, but yeah. they did bring a certain degree of Catholicism into the Americas. Yes. You know, South America and North America, right. not specifically the U.S., because the U.S. didn't really come about until right. the Revolutionary War. Right. Yeah. right, yeah, yeah. I mean, Southern Canada, they went in, the French, like you said, and right. then um, Spanish, maybe the lower part of Florida, and then Central America and South America. Yeah, but so, when the colonies came to be under the British crown, the state of Maryland, was established and right. it really starts into 1633 right. when there was this gentleman, he was a lord, um, Lord Baltimore or George Calvert was given a charter, a right. claim of property in Maryland. So in 1633, he had two ships, the Ark and the Dove, mm-hmm. and he had 200 settlers with right. two Jesuit priests. And this is during a time in England where there was a lot of persecution against those practicing the Catholic faith. And so in a way, once Lord Baltimore gets this claim, the land claim, it sort of was more of a refuge opportunity for the practicing Catholic in England to travel to the new world. 
Right. And right. so they finally settled in St. Mary's County. Um, and of course, Lloyd Baltimore, with the Jesuit priest, has the attention of trying to have the Catholic Church be the established church of Maryland. But it never took hold for like right. over almost two centuries. Yeah. Like it was I a mean, constant well, fight, right? Yeah. And other, other faiths came into Maryland mm-hmm. and kind of took over and then made it almost, it made it illegal to practice uh, Catholicism openly. Yeah. Right. And so, so, like, for the first probably almost 60 years since coming in 1633, they were able to kind of have a little bit of the religious freedom to practice right. Catholic faith. But then the Church of England, it was um, William of Orange, right. the king, he revoked Lord Baltimore's claim. And then now the Church of Maryland is the Church of England. Right. And right. that's now established. And the Catholics are right. once again feeling, you know, facing huge discrimination and prosecution. Right. Right. Um, and, and for here, some of those families from Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County, moved up here, mm-hmm. the elder family, and started Catholicism in, in the area that we're in, in Emmitsburg. Mm-hmm. And so, but the, you're right. I mean, that took like, Hundred years. hundred years or so. <laughs> for that yeah. to really happen. Well, I mean, they were they were forbidden to practice Catholic you know, the Catholic faith outside right. of their home. Right. They were forbidden to instruct their children right. on Catholicism. And um and so and priests were forbidden for, from conducting mass during that time. So yeah. that's when the chapels were starting to be built inside the home. That they right. were kind of doing it on a little bit more like underground. Right. Um, yeah, I was just reading something about Frederick County, which the county we're in, had sent someone up here to look at the elders' home to make sure there was not illegal practices going on. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they did this for, again, probably a hundred years. Right. Around the time that Elizabeth was coming into the picture. Yeah. Because yeah. eventually, as much after as... The, yeah, after the American Revolution. After the American Revolution, where the gov- the government was actually, what would you say, reinstating Well, you the could practice Catholic religious faith. freedom. Religious freedom. Okay. So, yeah. you couldn't be persecuted for being Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so, that kind of opened up the plan to have um, the person we're going to speak about today... Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. really, it was in 1789. If you were to pinpoint, well, when exactly was Catholicism actually established in the United States? It was in 1789 with the first diocese, which is in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. And with that came the first bishop. Sure. Now, before we reveal what they like, all these people in Elizabeth's life, they all have a prominent role in the Catholic Church, including Elizabeth, right. um, who had reason for their ministries and their mission. <clears throat> so if you think about it, it's like, it was almost worth considering that if it wasn't for years, centuries of persecution and discrimination of Catholics taking place in the 1700s, and, you know, 1600s, 1700s, even early 1800s, um, where they have collectively came together yeah. to, to how be where we are today with the yeah, Catholic Church? Yeah, I mean, it probably would have been a d- much different picture. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she may have ended up in Maryland, but would she have ended up studying the first religious order, or or if, being friends with the people she was friends with? Maybe right. it would have been easier. Who knows? I know. 
God works in, <laughs> in mysterious ways, yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay, so who is the first bishop so, of the um, United States? So the first bishop is Bishop John Carroll. And that's and who we're talking about that's today. That's who we're talking about today. So um, a little bit on him. He was a native of Maryland. He was born in Maryland, but he was educated in Europe, which, again, coming from a prominent family that he came from, that was the norm. Um, he becomes a Jesuit and stays in Europe um, until they're suppressed there, which brings him back here. And he's at, in 1773, so right before the American Revolution. Um, but then he is asked to be the first bishop in 1789. Can I just ask, and I've been meaning to ask this for a while now, what exactly is the difference between like a Jesuit and I don't know, are there other names and titles? Is it like a specific group of people? It is. Okay. It's a, a specific group. It's an order, you know, just okay. like the sisters are an order, the daughters of charity. Okay, so it's like you have the Ascension, the Ascension priest, right. the Jesuits priest. Right. Okay, so it's just right. the order of which their charism yeah, is about. Yeah, that's a good word okay. for it. So okay. um, they, uh, my understanding is that they... Um, have a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. Okay. So you you see that with Mother Seton, right? That's part of her first rules too. That devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus that most likely came because when she first comes to Baltimore, she's surrounded by priests that were Jesuits. Okay. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> well, I just know that when we were doing Mountain Valley, it seemed like that was the uh, the background of the priest. I guess they were all right. Jesuits. Right. The Vicentian or the Sulpician didn't come until later. Right. Um, so, is it Jesuits still today, or are they... Um, um, I don't know that. Okay. I mean, I would think so, yes. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, there's ups and downs with different things. I think especially that time period, that it seemed like the government or whoever would go after certain groups, like the daughters are being persecuted, you know, mm -hmm. during the French Revolution. So, right. I think the Jesuits, for whatever reason, during that time were being suppressed, and so a lot of them came to America. Mm -hmm. And I think for Bishop okay. Carroll, I have not read enough about that time period in his life, but probably his family was here. He was from here. And it was right before the American Revolution, which if you remember, there were other people like Benjamin Franklin and stuff that mm -hmm. were in Europe. Right. He was and like one of those more important members of the revolutionary patriots, right? Right. Because so, he signed the Constitution. No. Wait, wait, who are you talking Declaration about? Carroll. Charles Carroll. His no. cousin. Oh, Charles Carroll. Volunteer. <laughs> All right, that is kind of, sorry. But, um, oh, darn. John Carroll became okay. very close to Benjamin Franklin, which is a very odd pairing. They were sent okay. Bishop to, John Carroll yeah. was a close friend of Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, sorry, were, I got mixed yeah. up on a Carroll. Which is an interesting story okay. if you want to um, read that on your own, yeah. um, because they're complete opposites the way they led their lives, but they were sent on this mission to... Canada to petition for help from the French for the American Revolution and they became really good friends out of that Which shows you that you can become good friends with someone who has completely opposite views. I mean Benjamin Franklin I think, was an atheist views. so uh, it, oh, You know right. so and did some Inappropriate things when he was in Europe. So um, but they became Good friends, so that's a lesson, but so he comes back here and he's asked to be bishop and he does a lot of really great things. I mean, he his main focus, I think, was education. So he starts Georgetown. He okay. starts building churches. And the diocese today um, is Baltimore Diocese. is a big part of Maryland. But then it was, like, pretty much all of Maryland 
most of Virginia, part of West Virginia. I mean, it was it was a huge area. It encompassed both Washington and Baltimore, which today they're two separate dioceses. So he had a lot going on. And, he accomplished a lot. And he accomplished a lot. Oh, um, wow. So he becomes instrumental in Elizabeth's life. I think through him, we see a very different portrait of Elizabeth. Okay. Like she really looks to him as a parent, as a father figure, which he mentions and she mentions as well. Um, she's looking to him for advice on everything, not okay. just how to navigate the Catholic faith or her sisterhood, but what to do with her children, where they should be mm -hmm. educated and and things like that. So and, Elizabeth actually stayed in touch with Bishop Carroll through her remaining of her life oh, here yeah. in Emmersburg? I, mean, she, okay. I thought it was just for like a small snippet of time when she, she was doing... She sends him a letter a few weeks before he passes okay. away. So, oh, wow. Um, okay. So, But it changes because at uh -huh. first, which the first time that she that I saw that she contacted him was in July of 1804. So she's come back from Italy. Okay. She's now in this mix of, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And the Leakey brothers have said, well, write Bishop Carroll. You know, and which to me seemed kind of bold. Like when I was discerning about becoming Catholic, I didn't think to write the bishop. Like, <laughs> you, oh, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so she just writes the bishop and I guess writes him all her questions. Uh -huh. um, but he takes interest in her. I think he takes interest in her as, um, so I don't know, this is where I need kind of even your expertise as to what you know, because she writes a letter in July Basically saying, Reverend Sir, the enclosed letter from Mr. Antonio Felici will acquaint you with the motive which leads me to take the liberty of addressing you. He has indeed most kindly befriended me in endeavoring to enlighten and instruct my mind. The first impression I received from him that I was in error and in a church founded on error startled my soul and decided me to make every inquiry on the subject. So she's like... I'm shocked that I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> My church is wrong. And I need your help to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, what was interesting was that that's the first time she writes him in July. It's not the first time that he has been um, made aware of her interest in the Catholic faith. Right. So, um, Felipe, Filippo, how do you say his name? Filippo. Filippo Felici. So these right. are two brothers. Right. Um, Antonio and Filippo. I think Filippo was older than Antonio. Mm -hmm. Right. Tony, Antonio did have a close relationship with Elizabeth Ann Seton after her husband died. Right. And we'll save that for a whole other story, which is it, it's an interesting story. Yeah, so we are going to get but to that. But Filippo definitely had this agenda uh, really getting Elizabeth in the Catholic Church. He thinks that so the the whole effort behind the long story short, I guess you should say with the Feliki, they have been for a number of years prior to really even knowing Elizabeth through her her husband, what would be her husband, William McGee Seaton and the Merchant Company, um, trying to bring catechism, the Catholic faith, making it stronger in the United States, in the colonies years prior. You know, so they have, they're devout Catholics. They are prominent leaders within the Catholic Church, apparently, in Europe. I don't have the full story, but right. just a little bit that we were able to pull together to understanding right. that little bit, little bit of history and the connection with the Feliki to William McGee Seton. Um, 
that's what came yeah. out. They and so, were, um, we're going to do them. Right, we're going to do them. We're going to do them. Okay, so I was trying to make it long story short. But, yeah, but what's but interesting, Filippo, he writes Bishop Carroll on February 2nd. And what I found interesting about this is this is just four weeks after her husband dies. So they've just really been introduced to her. And I had always thought that her conversion kind of took place over that whole four months that she was still in Italy. But by February, February 2nd, mm -hmm. he's already writing Bishop Carroll, like, this woman is, is important. And and when I you looked, need to look at this woman. Right. And so when yeah. I looked back in that month of January is when they had done all that traveling to the churches. She's already has attended mass. And the conversations is where they must have really saw something in her. Um, he, he writes the bishop, I need not make any apologies for presuming to take up some of your most precious moments. I know that they are devoted to the care of your flock, but as I solicit some of them in hopes of increasing the numbers of your sheep, I am convinced that you will receive favorably my present respects and approval of my liberty to take of addressing you on this occasion. My friend, Mr. William McGee Seaton of New York, who I believe is well known to you. So he goes on in the letter to introduce Elizabeth. So that made me think, well, how do you know, William? You know, what? So Bishop Carroll is already acquainted with Elizabeth's husband. Well, well I think it's because the, the, William helped with the correspondences right. from New York and Baltimore to Rome. Right. Um, through right. the Feliki. So that's right. what, like I said, Feliki has this long time agenda of strengthening the Catholic faith and catechism in the U.S. Right. Even though they were Italians. Yeah. So I had looked into that. And what happened was there was an embargo that was mm -hmm. put in place in 1789. Okay. And oh. Bishop Carroll couldn't contact Rome. So the Feliki brothers were like, We'll go to Rome and we'll get the correspondence and we will send it. We'll send it back. And he had an apprentice with him, William McGee Seaton, who he took with him. And when he took him with him to Rome, William McGee was like, "Oh, well, that's easy. Just send all the correspondence through my father's shipping business." Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that happens as early as 1789. So this yeah. is when William and Elizabeth are just kind of getting Me, to know getting each, know each other. other. Yeah like kind of court in a little bit yeah, yeah. And, um, and what's interesting though is that i think even the Felici was trying to almost have william discern and convert to this catholicism yeah. but you know again we've already talked about that william just had no interest in right. religion period right you know just right so bishop carroll knew of elizabeth he must have known that william got married or whatever however i don't know i'm thinking well, there are not many people here because yeah. they knew each other. So I just thought that that was very interesting. Um, what happens is that um, Filippo is writing Bishop Carroll weekly. I mean, almost, it seems. Like, there's mm -hmm. all these letters before Elizabeth even returns to the United States, mm -hmm. kind of giving Bishop Carroll updates on how she's doing and what is going on. Um, so that whole year like that for me for the rest of that year of july from 1804 to the to the following january you really don't hear very much from bishop carroll okay. um, you see both brothers at this point and elizabeth writing bishop carroll now he must have written her because there is a letter that she writes where she says the bishop's letters have been held to my heart 
Okay. So he must have been writing her. Um, Antonia writes him in October of 1804. He doesn't hear anything till January. And I think what I what I learned about Bishop Carroll, I think through this, was that he was just very patient. Like, even though people wrote him with this anxiousness and wanting answers, he didn't really feel the need to write people back with such urgency. Mm-hmm. He almost wanted them to kind of discover it themselves, settle Maybe in, settle and, in and, and figure things out yeah. on their own. Um, so really, I mean, if you don't mind, what what is the impact that Carol end up having on Elizabeth, or is it the impact that Elizabeth had on Carol? Well, I think it grows to be both. I think that's what happens with Elizabeth, is that she ends up influencing the people that she's around. I think at first, what she teach, what he teaches her very slowly over, I think, the 12 years, really, that they're having a correspondence before his death, is he's teaching her to, you need to be patient. You need to not be so um, anxious about getting your answers. Take a moment listen to prayer, listen to God's will, and and just just stop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, he, and you're going to see this, that he warns her about that on several occasions. Mm-hmm. Like, you just, you need to not be so reactive. Mm-hmm. You know? And so he's teaching her this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's interesting is that when he finally does reply to both her and Antonio, um, and Antonio was like, in his letter in October, like, you have to give her the answers. You have to tell her what she should do. You have to combat Reverend Hobart, who's on the other side telling Elizabeth that everything is wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, he basically is saying, he says, she has seen enough on the subject to assure herself of the true principles of setting her fate. Her great business now should be to beseech our divine redeemer to retrieve in her heart the grace of her baptism and to fortify her soul in the resolution of the following unreservedly the voice of God speaking to her heart, no matter how difficult and painful the sacrifices have been. So this is almost an introductory to understanding how to listen to God's will. Yes. And how to tune in, <laughs> of yeah. which Elizabeth does embrace. Right. So this is where it really started for her in right. the sense of, how do you say it, um, tuning out the distraction and just listening. And she right. do, does this, and she practices all the way up until her death. Right. When when she, not t- ties, but when she tells her spiritual advisor, I don't want to listen to you right now. We're going to cease our friendship so I can, on my deathbed, be able to hear God and yeah. hear what he wants from me and, and I God's think will. It's true how they uh, how they had said to each other that he was like a parent. He is like a parent. parent. He's yeah. teaching her that through his experience, you don't need to have an answer today. You don't need to be so anxious about this. Yeah. And what's interesting is that, she, so she goes on, we know, um, to become Catholic, yeah. you know, in March of 1805. Um, and very quickly then, it's like, well, what am I going to do with my children? And what's going to happen to them? And she's writing him, like, I need advice. What do you, What should I do with my boys? And he wants them to go to Georgetown. And he actually, well, does. and he and agrees to pay. Yeah. He pays for them to go to Georgetown. Yeah. So, um, which I think was great. Um, so then immediately after that comes up the idea of her coming to Baltimore to live and to teach. And it's almost a year. Now, remember, um, the Felikis, Antonia, wanted her to go to Canada. 
right. and become an Ursuline. Mm-hmm. So she would rather go to Baltimore, but she's not hearing anything from Bishop Carroll. So again, she's like got this anxiousness. So she finally writes him in her very coy way with, okay, I guess we're going to Canada and it'd be great for my girls, it'd be great for my boys. And so then we find her in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Now he also did her confirmation for her though in 1806 and that was the first time they had met in person okay so i thought that was an interesting meeting i thought that would be really neat but it also lets us know that was the first time they met in person wow so So, what like two to three years it took of just letter corresponding and knowing you know becoming friends on some level right um they don't meet in person until wow yeah, and That's he knew of her prior to mm-hmm. that. Right. So, yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I did want to like mention, though, um, as you were mentioning the Ursuline. Now, Elizabeth really did have this desire to just live her life in prayer. Like, she wanted to be taken care of and all this, but she never does. She never goes that way. Even when she was a sister of charity of St. Joseph and mother's to the community, three times elected, that she always wanted to live her day in prayer. She just wanted like solitude and quietness, didn't want to to make decisions. But here, you know, she ends up in Baltimore and then she ends up coming to Emmersburg. She ends up, again, keep getting elected mother. Um, And it's just all because, you know, what she thought was this must be God's will. Right. How much did Carol influence, though? Like, did you find anything where it seemed like he really did influence her in those decisions? I think he did, because I think going back to his goal of education, mm-hmm. I think he saw that teacher in her, and he wanted to establish a religious order that was founded here in the United States. So I think he saw that that could be her that she could start this order that would be teachers mm-hmm. and that would educate and that would start Catholic schools. And we do say that her school was the cradle to the Catholic school systems right. of today. It wasn't right. the first Catholic school in the United States, but it did kind of really launch this movement of Catholic education. Well, and Catholic right? education, but American Catholic education. Right. American Catholic In the education. sense that That's it was right. the first order that was formed and the first school that was formed by the first order right. that was here in the United States. And I think that that's what he wanted for her. Wow. So um, when she's in Baltimore, there's not a lot of correspondence between them, but she was living right there where he was living. So mm-hmm. I don't think that there needed to be correspondence between them. Mm-hmm. So again, it's in March, March 25th of 1809, that she professes her vows as a sister of charity at St. Mary's. Um, it is said that Mrs. Seaton was further admitted to the three customary simple vows of religious poverty, chastity, and obedience, which, as she says to a letter to a friend, she took in the hands of Bishop Carroll on her knees before a crucifix to be binding for one year's time only, but to be renewed as stated periods. Um, it also says that it was um, most likely solemn vows and that that is when he gave her the title of mother. Okay. So she's officially starting her order, I think, at that point. I don't know when the sisters say that their order started, but they renew their vows in March. Well, I mean, there was the group, what is it, like almost six women that came yeah. with her to Emmitsburg from Baltimore, and they were kind of starting to consider themselves sisters. Um, but it still seems to be that the official founding 
was kind of declared in July, in July of 1809 um, when they moved into the Stone Farm House, when they finally settled here in Emmersburg of their first home. Yeah. Um, I know, I always get that confused because here's another thing. Elizabeth didn't, doesn't take vows. The community doesn't really take vows until 1812 as Sisters yeah. of Charity. So all the other vows, like how did that really work out? Right, it's almost like they took vows for those initial rules, but then they wrote rules when they were here in right. August right. 1809. But then they had the official ratified rules oh, in, in 1812. 1812. So it took a number of years. And I guess with them renewing every year, maybe it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, was Carol involved in all that? Or is it? Yes. I can't remember. Like I feel like a lot of Du Bois and Du Berg was also involved. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when she comes here, he kind of passes like, okay, I'm going to let Father Borg be your superior. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer going to be your superior. Well, I mean, he's the bishop of the United States, right. basically. Um, <laughs> but for Elizabeth, I think um, she's still like, very used to talking to Bishop Carroll. So very soon after they get here and they get settled, she was very close, had become very close to this priest in Baltimore, Father Roubaix. Right. And um, he was very charismatic, in what we read, <laughs> um, and very attached to all of them, I think. Father DeBoard, not so impressed with Father Roubaix. He, at some point, says that he doesn't want him coming here. He doesn't want the sisters having confession with him. He doesn't want the sisters writing him. Right. Um, he does, it seems like... Yeah, that's a whole nother story, but right? right. the relationship apparently probably was perceived as not a healthy relationship between a priest and a community. Right. And so... So Elizabeth... The, yeah, she was not very <laughs> happy with some of the decisions um, being made. So she... And I feel for her, I feel for her at this point, because she has the sister saying to her, please write Bishop Carroll and get this changed because mm-hmm. i think was it sister rose white and sister kitty mellon that didn't care for father Bavade, but everybody else really wanted him yeah. um so in september of 1809 she writes bishop um carol saying basically that father de borg is coming for a visit he's allowed father Bavade to come here for a short time but that he cannot hear our confession and she's saying that i'm begging the lord to direct me what to do um I have my dear girl, so she's talking about the sisters begging her to write to the bishop to ask for permission. So she does that. At some point, Father DeBoer finds out about it. Um, he had conducted a retreat there, here, with the sisters, and immediately goes back and resigns. DeBoer resigns? DeBoer resigns oh. as being her superior. As the oh, wow, superior, I totally missed that. Based on the fact that she... Went over, over his, his head, head. <laughs> wow. to Bishop Carroll. And this is why I feel for her, because now all of a sudden she's trying to make amends. She quickly writes Father DeBorg. She's writing Bishop Carroll. Like, I didn't mean for that to happen. I didn't want to happen. You know, that I can feel that she's having this, like, sickness probably in the pit of her stomach. Like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Right. And who, you know, Bishop Carroll appoints Father David, who really likes Sister Rose White. And so now there's there's and that's a whole nother story. story. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole nother story. So, so but what ended up happening? Though did Carol ever get involved? 
Like, I totally missed that, so I'm sorry. Like, I've totally missed that Deborg resigned as her superior, which is now explained why we don't talk about him too much, because it was a very brief time. It was a very time. short time. But, and, and, but, you know, and we have mentioned that towards the end of her life, she does write Father David, she writes Father Deborg, she's trying to repair those, those relationships. Right. But I feel like for her... Um, and I think Bishop Carroll, he tries to just be like, okay, this has happened, and you should not be making those decisions. You are not the one who will decide who will be your superior. I will decide that. And I don't think he does it in a very stern way. I think he does it in a very compassionate way. Like, yes, but he still has to be and, like on in a, a disciplinary way. Just like like you mentioned, he was like a parent figure in a way. So just right. like us parents, like okay. To our children, no, you did not really have the permission to make those decisions because I'm the parent, you're the child, right? Um, right? Would you say that was kind of his yeah. approach? But we're stern yeah. about it. He's we're not reprimanding, but we're establishing the expectations, right? And really, like this is not your place. And you mm-hmm. kind of you need to start understanding your place. Um, you are now. It's almost like. This do you think that kind of shifted their relationship? I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, that's fine. Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't think so. I think as a parent, he was very aware of her good spots and her weaknesses. And like, even when there's rumors that they want to have Sister Rose White replace her as mother, mm-hmm. he very nicely says, no, that's not going to happen. I right. want you to be Mother Superior. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, she, this isn't like just her and her friends anymore. She's now basically running lack of a better word, a business or something. Yeah, you know, like, she's running an order. She's, she's running a woman religious. And he wants her to start acting like a boss. And yeah. like being like, you know, you need to, like... <laughs> well, no, no. There, I mean, there is something true. I think a lot of people that are managers or bosses, like, there is, when it comes to what you're overseeing, you have to think in the big large, picture. big picture, in the large, in the mind of the organization, not getting into the weeds of the right. little stuff. That's what the the people that you are overseeing, guiding, mentoring, supervising, however you want to call it, they're responsible for being the weed, but you got to keep riding above it to think in the mind of your organization. And sometimes you have to make hard decisions. That means right. like you personally would not want to make that decision or don't like it that way, but for the interest of the bigger picture, you have to go that way. So it seems like if we go back to Babade, I mean, I know that Elizabeth eventually came around and realizing, okay, we need to let Babay go and we need to follow what is in the better interest right. of everyone. Right. Right. And, and, right. and this inner conflict needs to stop this because, there right. was, like we were saying, there were some that had very strong opinions about Father Babay on both ways. We need to get rid of all that. And Carol helped be, her through that, is he what you're saying. Through that. He helped her through that. Um, he does come here for a visit in October, okay. so just a month later, he gives confirmation to her sister-in-law Harriet and her daughter Catherine, um, just to check on things. Yeah. Um, he sees, he, he compliments her, she's doing a great job, this is really where we need to go. Um, and then Harriet passes away, which we've done a whole other podcast on that. And if you, if you listen to that, you would remember that there's a lot of people from New York, family and friends, that were just bombarding Harriet with all this negativity. Mm-hmm. So when Harriet dies, and Elizabeth writes Bishop Carroll to say that Harriet has passed away, he immediately cautions her 
Um, he says, it seems to be in the order of divine providence to lead you to perfection through the road of sufferings, interior and exterior. May you always correspond with graces bestowed on you and walk the way of the cross. So he's telling her, before you start writing all those people about Harriet's death, don't use a tone of anger. Don't be mad at them because their last letters to Harriet were so harsh. Right. Have some compassion for them. And I really like this because I think it shows he knew Elizabeth really well. He knew that there would be that tendency to be frustrated with those family members that Mm -hmm. were so cruel to Harriet. And again, he's telling her, take a breath, you know, be, be kind to them. Walk the way of the cross. Right. And I think like, so in the comment that you said earlier about, obviously Bishop had wrote to her early on, even though we don't know where those letters are because she does reveal that she's keeping them close to her. Right. So I'm wondering if, based on this, is that something she probably still carries through in her future trial tribulations, like the death of her daughter? Remember, like, because she was so angry, but she really worked through her her grief, though, in a very mature way. Yeah, she had one of those stages of grief where you're angry about something to, you know, severe sadness, and then... Yeah, and that's a good point, because remember when she was so angry about Anna Maria's death, when she was in the cemetery, what does she say? I can't go to Bishop Carroll about this. I know right. what he'll say. Right, so <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So it, it, it seems like that's the profound impact that Carol had on Elizabeth. Yeah, um, he's trying to teach her, you need to, you need to take a breath, and you right. need to trust well, God. And walk the way of Christ. Right. Go God's will. Right. Try to see the goodness in the people that you may be frustrated with or angry with and and see the good in them because they are in the image of God and, and all of that, which is so great. I mean, yeah. it's and again, it's so great of Elizabeth to take that to heart. She's trying to learn from those lessons, yeah. you know, and she's such a good example of being able to do that. We, so how long was um, Carol Bishop for? Was he Bishop all the way up until his death? Which I yeah. don't even know when that is. 1815. He became oh, Archbishop okay. in 1811. Okay. So, yeah, so you see, like, so we're now in 1810, essentially, because with Harriet's death in December of 1809. And he only lived for another five years. Yeah, so over the next couple of years, it's all about her, her children. Remember, she writes to right. him to try to get William in the Navy at mm-hmm. the... The War of 1812 was happening in Baltimore, so he can't really help. She does write him about Anna Maria's death and about Rebecca's death, and she's mm-hmm. asking for advice, and she's, you know, um, talking through things with him. Yeah. Um, I did think that, it, in, remember also when Father Brute arrives, she's kind of like, oh, I see myself kind of like getting too attached to him. I can see myself getting really attached to him and holding on to his every word, and I, I know you've cautioned me not to do that (laughs) i think that's going back to how she was attached to babies right which is so great because you see her learning the lessons Lessons, yeah you know i did want to bring up one thing it was interesting when she writes him about um focusing not only education but healthcare. he writes to her and says this is 1811 and he writes to her a century at least will pass before any demands and habits of this country will require and hardly admit the charitable exercises towards the sick. So he's basically saying, you need to focus on education right now because it's gonna be at least a hundred years before this country will need the sister's help and healthcare. 
I mean, which obviously it wasn't. I mean, we went into like smallpox and all that, but the Civil War happens okay. just 50 years later. But he had said to her, no, don't do healthcare. Focus on education. education. This is where you're needed. It's going to be 100 years before they're going to need you. In wow. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. That is um, interesting. So, But he's looking at where the needs are now, again. Looking right. again, he's looking at the bigger picture and the right. needs for the United States, for America, right. with education. Right, right. Uh -huh. um, so her last letter to him is on October 9th of 1815, telling him that Sister Kitty Mullen is sick, which is just a few weeks before he dies. Um, she wrote Father Babay a few days before he died on November 27th, and she said, My dearest Pierre, I earnestly trust to you to ask the last blessing of our blessed Archbishop for us all. Oh, could I be by his bedside to get it before he goes, goes indeed to receive his great reward. May we not fully hope from my father. So she's, they obviously know that he's sick and that he's dying. Mm -hmm. um, he meant a lot to her. Yeah. Um, the impression made on him, um, was such that she could never find the words to sufficiently describe him in character. In later years, a pupil asked her the meaning of benignity, benignity, um, and, and she said, which means compassion okay. and friendship. And she said, I cannot give a better definition to than you will read in the countenance of Archbishop Carroll, the only holy prelate um, with numerous clergymen and showing his appreciation of God's favor to her. And she marveled at his kindness extended to her on all sides. She wrote to a friend, I find the difference of situation so great that I can scarcely believe it is the same existence on every counter. And it is the look of peace and love. Now she wrote that when she was leaving New York and coming here, that she mm -hmm. couldn't believe the difference of how he treated her yeah. as opposed to how she had been treated by the religious prior. Right. Yeah. by her friends, her Protestant friends and family, right. then Hobart even. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So he really he really did have probably a profound impact on her converting to Catholicism. Like right. here I thought it was largely the Balikis and her time in Italy, but it seemed like it was Carol that kinda almost Right, and, the, and really things, helped him make that decision, even though he didn't tell her what to do. Right, and one of the things I discovered, which I had not put together, is that she writes Antonio Felici in eighteen oh seven. Doesn't get a, no eighteen oh six. Doesn't get a letter back from him until eighteen oh seven because of the embargo. She doesn't hear from the Felicis for seven years. So it's really not until 1814, 1815 that she even hears from the Felikis again. So that whole time, she now she's really becomes, looking at Carol. She becomes dependent on. Now, why are you saying that it was really Carol that guided her, advised her through all the workings mm -hmm. of the Catholic faith and the Church and establishing an order, Roman religious order. Yeah, and wow. she turned to him and ran everything past him. Every decision she made for her children, she ran past him. Well, I'll tell you what, I definitely <laughs> learned way more about Carol just yeah. now. Yeah. And I thought I almost knew everything. And I realized that, well, you know, I can only read and research so much in my time. But, which right. is why we're doing these podcasts, right, because it's helping us to keep learning about not just, the, not just a little bit story, but right, all the individuals that plays into her story. And you have to understand them in order to understand 
a little bit even more. Well, she got to where she was. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we hope everybody continue to have a good new year. Um, many blessings to you through the intercession of not just Elizabeth Antigone, but even Bishop Carroll. Yes, true. 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 Yeah. <laughs> all, all right. right. Thank Bye, you. Everyone. Bye.